You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. You're about to hear my interview with Dimitri Terra Ovenesian, uh, called Dima. And we spoke about extracellular vesicles or exosomes. So what I liked about Dimitri, he was very careful with his science. He said, I, I, would, I kept saying, well, I thought this and I thought that. And he said, you know, I thought that too, but um, we have to test it. And this may be the case. This may not be the case. What's super interesting about EVs is that... Um, there's no proof yet that they're used in communication. Um, there are a lot of theories. There's a lot of testing going on. And uh, the results are actually inconclusive. Dima wants to focus on uh, characterizing EVs and seeing what that tells you about the interior state of the cell. Because it may give you a readout on what's going on. Is the cell healthy or not? What are some of the particulars? So that's his focus. I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. Yes, it's technical. But EVs are super huge and they're exploding. Uh, they're going to be a very important part of biology. And they're going to lead to all kinds of personalized cures for people suffering from cancer and other ailments. ailments. So it's definitely good to know about them. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Finding Genius podcast. My guest today is Dimitri Terovanesian. Uh, I'm going to call him Dima, as he likes. We're going to be talking about extracellular vesicles, EVs, uh, also called exosomes sometimes. Uh, he's uh, he comes out of Harvard the Wiss Institute. He's a research scientist, and um, you know. So here we are, Dima. Thanks for coming. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. Yeah. How did you uh, end up even knowing about uh, extracellular vesicles? Like, how did you end up in this corner of the world? Uh, sure. Um, so extracellular vesicles. Um, a lot of people still call them exosomes. So I use the two uh, terms interchangeably. Um, they were actually discovered. Um, almost 40 years ago. Um, so some of the first papers were in the early 80s and they were discovered by electron microscopy by basically looking at very high resolution at the cell membrane and proteins on the cell membrane and people found that um, the cell uh, has these vesicles that either bud directly from the cell membrane or from the inside of the cell through... Um, an organelle called the endosome that becomes the multivesicular body. And so there's two mechanisms, and in either case, uh, the cell releases vesicles. So these membrane, uh, little balls of membrane. And um, for about 
So it was discovered about four decades ago. And then for about three decades, very few people were interested in this. Um, the first hypothesis was that these were little garbage, uh, packages of garbage that the cell was throwing away. But um, then uh, in 2007 and 2008, there were two papers that independently found that there was RNA in extracellular vesicles. And so that was uh, one of the points in the field where some people became interested, particularly those people that were RNA biologists, and that was my background. So at the time I was um, finishing my undergrad um, at MIT in biology, and I was very interested in RNA, and I was working on um, RNA interference screening and the mechanism of microRNA targeting. And so for RNA biologists, it was very intriguing that there's um, a mechanism for a cell to release RNA. And this was um, also actually known that RNA can be outside of cells for, uh, this has been known for a long time, but no one really understood why, because it's known that in the blood, there are a lot of RNA degrading enzymes. Um, and so no one really understood why RNA could be stable in the blood when normally it's very unstable. And so the fact that it's in extracellular vesicles or that notion was uh, the first kind of explanation for that. And so I became interested in extracellular vesicles um, about 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago, when, when um, these two papers came out on uh, extracellular vesicles containing RNA. Well, question here. So uh, EVs are small. I guess they're a few nanometers. In, uh, 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 yeah, so they're on the order of um, tens of nanometers. So usually people say about 30 to 200 nanometers, so maybe 100 nanometers on average. That upper limit... The lower limit is just kind of what we see as the lower limit of uh, under uh, electron microscopy. The higher limit, we actually don't really know um, if there's a particular size cutoff where, um, you know, this is where EVs end. So people kind of um, say a number like 200 nanometers, but that's partly also because they often use a filter of that size. But yeah, for, for most people, they would call EVs vesicles between 30 and 200 nanometers, although there are also larger vesicles. Has anyone been able to isolate one larger vesicle and study its membrane, you know, what's on it, and then open it up and look at its contents individually, or is it only possible to study thousands at a time? Um, so people can study EVs one at a time. It's more challenging. Um, but yeah, people are starting to move more in that direction and develop new techniques uh, to study individual EVs. Um, in some cases, that's important, but in other cases, you actually, um, if you're interested in a particular molecule inside of EVs like RNA or protein, um, you're actually pretty unlikely to see it uh, if you just study one EV. So for a lot of applications, you need a lot of EVs to get enough of your RNA or protein molecule. What do the membranes look like? What do the interiors contain? Has anyone, again, identified? Um, are they structured highly, or is it just a, a membrane with, you know, stuff floating in it? Yeah, so EVs come from the cell membrane. So the membrane is generally similar to the uh, membrane of a cell. There are some studies that claim that there's enrichment of certain uh, lipids or certain um, uh, other molecules from the membrane, such that EVs have a slightly different membrane. But in general, it's similar, I would say, to the cell membrane. I thought that only a certain class of EVs come from budding of the cell membrane. 
and other ones are made internally like by the endoplasmic reticulum and they migrate out but they may be packaged before they get to the membrane right so this is what i mentioned before with two mechanisms so not the endoplasmic reticulum but the uh, endosome which is another internal compartment of the cell so um, there's one class of evs that buds directly from the plasma membrane and then another that um, forms in the endosome which then becomes the multivesicular body and then that fuses with the plasma membrane releasing the evs so some people in the literature will differentiate the two as completely different. So historically, the ones that come from the multivesicular body were called exosomes. And um, some people would call the ones from the plasma membrane microvesicles. Um, but then I think one of the things that the field realized is that there's actually no way to separate the two based on any characteristic. And so people then moved to this um, term extracellular vesicles just to include both of them. And I think that was a good decision because having a definition based on something that you can't do anything about is not very helpful. So well, how do we know that we can't differentiate it? Again, have we looked at the, the membrane characteristics of both and the contents of both? Perhaps they're different and perhaps that means they're used for different functions. Uh, so it's possible that they have different functions. The reason I think right now it's a good idea to treat them the same as if you isolate extracellular vesicles, EVs from either cell culture media or a biological fluid like blood, there's nothing you can do. There's no property of one type of EV versus the other in terms of the multivesicular body versus the plasma membrane. There's not a thing that you can use to separate one from the other in the lab. And that's partly because the way the cell um, membrane trafficking works is actually the, endo, uh, the endosome is formed from the plasma membrane. So there's a recycling process of lipids and proteins. Um, between the cell membrane and the endosome. And that's why, although there may be certain things that are enriched in one or the other, there's not a protein or a lipid that's only on the plasma membrane EVs or only on the endosome-derived multivesicular body EVs. And so that means that in the lab, there's no way to actually separate the two. Well, if the, um, I thought one of the major possibilities of EVs is that they're used in cell-to-cell -cell communication. And if so, how would you achieve targeted cell-to-cell -cell communication if the inbound or the cell that's you know, receiving the inbound exosome can't tell by the nature of its, um, you know, of its membrane if it should receive it or not and welcome it into its you know, interior? So I would think there would have to be characteristics that I guess we just can't observe yet somehow. Yes, yeah, so I would step back and say this is a very new field where there are a lot of very basic questions that are completely wide open. It's part of what makes it very exciting, but also part of what makes it pretty challenging because, um, you know, when the basics aren't established, it's hard to do some of the experiments that you would want to do and study some of these characters you would want to study, including those you just mentioned. Like, I think a lot of people are interested in seeing whether the EVs from the plasma membrane are different than the ones from the multivesicular body. But right now we don't have a way to differentiate it. Um, and in terms of their function, so certainly I think a lot of the excitement in the EV field and why I got into it was I was very excited by this notion that cells use EVs to communicate and they transfer RNA between cells. And that's very exciting because the kind of information you can encode in RNA is very rich. It's very information rich. So if we think about how cells communicate in the body with things like hormones um, or secreted proteins or peptides, generally that activates some kind of 
um, signaling cascade in the receiver cell, which has a very um, specific strong effect. But the, it, with RNA, theoretically, you could encode much more nuanced messages. So instead of one cell grunting to another and saying, you know, I'm unhappy, you could encode a message that's much more specific in terms of I'm unhappy because I'm hungry or I'm unhappy for this particular reason. And so molecularly, that was a very exciting hypothesis um, and one of the reasons I got into the field. I think 10 years later, since the discovery of uh, RNA and EVs, I would venture to say we still don't know if cells in the body really use uh, EVs to communicate by sending each other RNA. So that is something uh, many people, including myself, uh, have studied and are studying. But I would say we actually don't have any one example where it's really clear that a given cell in the body sends EVs to another cell and transfers RNA, and that RNA does something. And so we could talk about what some of the challenges of that are. Um, but that, that um, is still an open question in my mind in the field. Well, yeah, let's go into specifically what you're working on and, you know, uh, what, what questions are you hoping to answer very specifically in the next uh, couple of years? What experiments are you doing? Sure. Um, so I've been working on EVs for my PhD and postdoc and now I'm a research scientist. So for a long time, for uh, close to 10 years now. Um, and so when I was started, I was very interested in figuring out whether um, what we were just talking about, whether cells really transfer physiologically in the body uh, RNA by EVs. And I was very interested in this both because it could be a new mechanism of cell communication, but also because I was very interested in um, the possibility that we could hijack this mechanism if it exists to deliver RNA drugs. So you've probably heard of RNA drugs like um, siRNA, um, and now people are developing messenger RNA drugs. And so the big problem with those drugs is delivery. And so I was very excited by the notion that we could use EVs for RNA delivery. Um, that's something that many people are working on in the EV field. Um, and there's now a few companies even working on it, but it's been incredibly challenging. Um, I don't think anyone's really gotten it to work well. And I think the main challenge in that, um, in that approach has been that we really just don't understand the biology of EVs well enough to hijack the mechanism and to engineer them. Um, yeah, how, would, right, how would you engineer an EV? I mean, right, so would, you, would, you, I mean, would you make the lipid outer layer yourself or would you take existing EVs? And, I mean, I can't see anyone taking existing, removing their contents or placing them. So I guess you'd have to make it. You'd have to have the cell make it some. Right. So the main approach to that, there's a few approaches. One approach is to engineer the cell that makes these. So you would take cells and you, that make you, you would engineer those cells to package the RNA drug. Um, that's one approach. A different approach is to first isolate the EV and then try to get the RNA drug into the EVs. And people have tried to things like electroporation for that, which works for cells, but hasn't worked well for EVs. But so the two approaches would be to either engineer the cell uh, that makes the EVs to put in the RNA drug or to first isolate the EVs and then try to get the RNA drug in yourself. Um, both of those approaches have been very challenging, but those are the two main approaches. There are also people who actually, what you mentioned, are also interested in mimicking EVs synthetically and making synthetic EVs without cells. So this is similar to kind of like what a liposome is, which is uh, 
used uh, for some uh, drug delivery applications. The challenge there is that you know uh, EVs are so incredibly complex because they come from cells. There's lots of different lipids, lots of different proteins, and so it's um, with current techniques not really possible to make a synthetic EV just because it would have you know hundreds or thousands of components. Are people able to um, see anything happening with EVs? You know, in situ in a live mouse? Are you able to observe it by tagging, the, you know, the RNA or tagging the EVs, you know, fluorescently? Yeah, so there's some really good studies. I think some of the best studies that are trying to do this are using that exact approach. So they're using various uh, reporters. One approach is to tag the EVs, try to get, package the Cree enzyme, which then if you have a mouse with the locks, well, basically if they're present, a cell that has the locks reporter, it will um, for example, activate a fluorescent signal. So people are taking approaches like that. Um, uh, but part of the challenge is that we don't have a way of packaging specific cargo into EV. So that is one challenge experiment. The second challenge is that these are very heterogeneous. So there's not one protein that's present on all EVs, and that makes them really hard to study and manipulate which is different than, say, a virus um, in that, you know, if you have a, a given virus, it'll always have a certain protein, a viral protein, right? So you can tag that in some cases or study that viral protein and you, you know, all of your viral particles um, uh, or at least the fully functional assembled viruses should have that protein. And with EVs, we unfortunately don't have that, that marker, that one protein that's present on all EVs, and that makes them a lot harder to study. Yeah, but if you have a cell that's putting out all different kinds of EVs, you know, pretty often, I would think if you were able to observe it and capture the EVs, you know, over, you know, over, I don't know, a day's time at multiple intervals and look at them, you'd see repetitions of certain kinds, you know, at least the cargo that they carry. And then you'd know, okay, well, this cell produces this particular type of EV with this cargo, you know, 10 times a day or continuously or, you know, and then perhaps you could tag it. Uh, right. So the, the question there is, that is also, is whether EVs really package very specific things or whether they package a lot of the things that are in the cell. And so that's the question that I've spent a lot of my time on working in the context of RNA um, and using a simple cell culture system where we just have one type of cell growing in a dish. And then you, you can take those cells and um, look at their RNA, and then basically you can isolate the EVs and look at what RNA they have in them. So that was one of the main approaches I used uh, in my research. And so one of the but things what, I what's found... Your, uh, what's your underlying assumption, though, that they're putting random stuff into EVs? I mean, that's back to the garbage hypothesis, it sounds like, instead uh, of intentionally packaging. Right. So, um, so that's the question. So... Um, the question is, do they uh, put in random RNAs or do they package very specific RNAs? And so what I was hoping um, was that they would package very specific RNAs because that would be more exciting in terms of supporting this communication hypothesis, right? But um, just because you want something to be true doesn't mean it is true. <laughs> so um, that was uh, why I did the experiment. And what I found was at least in the cell culture system that I tested. So, of course, you can't test all cells uh, at once. You have to start with a particular cell type. And then a caveat when you do these cell culture experiments is you don't actually know whether in a mouse or in a human uh, everything will be exactly the same as in your cell culture dish. But that being said, you can't do that experiment in, in a mouse or a human because if you isolate EVs from, say, blood, 
they come from all different cell types. So now you don't know where they come from. Um, so in my case, I had a simple experiment where I had one cell type, I isolate the EVs, and then I look at the RNA of both the cells and the EVs using high-throughput RNA sequencing, which gives you, um, you know, the information, quantitative information about all of the RNA at once. And um, I looked specifically at messenger RNA, so the RNA that makes proteins, and I was surprised to find that actually the RNA in EVs was very much similar to the RNA in cells. It was very, it was almost like a snapshot of what's happening in cells. And okay, so, so what does that tell you? Does that tell you that the cell is reporting its interior condition in some part by doing that? Or is uh, it saying, do what I do and sending that out in an exosome so that it informs other cells, maybe like a, a timing or an action coordination mechanism? Do what I do. Here's what I'm doing. And they right. send out a message. So I think both of those are possibilities. I think that is exactly the thought process that I went through at the time. When I, like, would it make a cell to send a snapshot of the RNA that it has to another cell? And the answer to that is, I don't know. Um, it could be also that that RNA that is sent out uh, is not taken up by other cells. Uh, um, it's a small amount of RNA. Maybe it, it actually, the EVs have some other purpose and they don't deliver their RNA to a recipient cell. So in my experiment, as I said, right, the what I could do is, um, is just study um, is, is study this simple system. And then when I moved on to more complicated systems where I had two cell types together and I would put a reporter in the first cell type um, and I had a few different approaches to this and saw whether that reporter was taken up by the second cell type, so whether the cells were communicating, sending each other RNA, um, I actually had a lot of negative results. So in many cases, my reporter from the first cell type didn't go into the second cell type. And so there's more than one explanation there. One could be that, you know, in this context, the AVs just don't uh, transfer their cargo. But another explanation could be that, well, it's very important what the exact cell type is. So if you have cell type A and cell type B, cell type B doesn't want those specific EVs, but cell type C does, right? And so that goes back to what your experimental system is and what you can conclude. So I would say those results were inconclusive um, because it was a very simple system. But for me personally, I realized it would be very hard to study this RNA transfer. And given a lot of inconclusive results, I decided that um, one thing that's really exciting is if, you know, EVs contain a snapshot of what's uh, happening in a cell is that we can use this as a tool to read out what's happening in our cells. Um, and this would be very useful for diagnostics. So if we think about diagnostics, um, human diagnostics for medicine, um, the kinds of information that we usually get are a single protein or a single small molecule found in the blood. So maybe, you know, you're measuring your level of of glucose or you're measuring levels of a certain hormone or a certain protein. Whereas the exciting possibility with EVs is you capture EVs that tell you what's happening in a cell and you're getting some of the same information as if you actually just took that cell from a human. And of course, in a human, we can't access most of our cells. We can take cells from the blood. We can take maybe skin cells, but we can't take a piece of our brain and see what's happening. We can't take a piece of our heart, right? So that was... Uh, well, when, uh, what about if you took cells that 
appear to definitely coordinate their action, such as mouse heart cells. Uh-huh. You know, supposedly if you have uh, a few mouse heart cells in a certain culture, that they'll start beating in unison. So looking, you know, understanding there's got to be that some signaling there, perhaps those would be good candidates to look at, uh, you know, the EVs that they put out because it, yes. how do they coordinate their action? Perhaps this is the method that they do it. And it might be apparent that way if you study them. Uh, so it's certainly possible, and these were certainly the thoughts I had. That you know, you need a very specific, um, you need a very specific um, context of cells that work together, and maybe uh, they use EVs to coordinate that. So that's certainly something um, a lot of people in the field are trying to find. But the possibility also exists that they actually don't use EVs to communicate. So I think as scientists, we have to consider the null hypothesis and. Just because it would be cool if something happened doesn't mean it actually happens. So I would say talking to people in the EV field, at, you know, the main conference, for example, every year, there's a lot of negative results as well, um, where people try to see if cell type A and cell type B are communicating by EVs, and it's unclear. And so, and so again, there's two possibilities. One is that they actually don't communicate by EVs, or that we don't actually understand under what circumstances they do. And if we just put two cells into a dish next to each other, well, maybe they don't have some of the other cues. Maybe they need other cell types or very specific environment for the EV communication to happen. So I think these are all questions that people are actively studying right now in the EV field. But I would say in my mind, it's all still wide open. And so for me personally, I was more excited um, to go the route of now using EVs as a tool to read out what's happening in cells and humans. And so that's what I'm currently focusing most of my time on. So the idea is, can we read out um, information, molecular information from human cells uh, that you would normally only take through a biopsy? So um, I think the, the example that I'm most excited about is the most inaccessible organ, the brain. Right? So you can't take a piece of brain from a living human to see you know, whether your brain is doing well. But um, what we're trying to do is isolate EVs from a fluid that you can take. So either cerebrospinal fluid, the fluid that bathes the brain, or ideally would be just blood. So what we're trying to do is can we isolate EVs that come from the brain in CSF or blood and then look at the RNA or protein inside of those as a way to get a snapshot of what's happening in your brain. I thought you said in the blood it is many, many cell types, and you said that there's no way that you know how to differentiate where EVs come from based on their membrane. So how would you ever know how to isolate them in the brain? That's right. So that's the main challenge. So right now we don't have a way of um, pulling out EVs that come from a specific cell type, Um, but that is what we're working on um, and what many other people are also interested in working on. So the hypothetical way to do it is that EVs are not just membrane because the membrane is pretty similar between cell types on the whole, but EVs also have transmembrane proteins and transmembrane proteins are quite, so proteins on the surface of cells, they're quite different in different cells. So the idea is, can we actually use the transmembrane surface proteins on EVs as a a way to, as a hook? So to, have antibodies against those and pull out a subset that comes from a specific cell type from the total pool of EVs. So that is what I was asking you earlier is, has anyone studied, you know, the membrane of an EV, including the transmembrane proteins and any other active sites or receptors? I mean, do they have them? 
is the membrane of an EV as sophisticated as a cell or is it sophisticated enough where the EV itself could take in additional you know, molecules or, or produce them, you know, uh, yeah, put so them out of its membrane? So there's certainly people very interested in that question. In general, I would say that EVs are very, their membrane and proteins are very complicated and very similar to what's in a cell. Um, as uh, in terms of whether it's identical to a cell or not, that's a question that is hard to answer, partly because of uh, the tools we have. So the tools we have for quantitating all the proteins, uh, such as mass spectrometry, are not as good, not as quantitative as RNA sequencing. So it's harder to know whether um, how representative in terms of the membrane proteins or the proteins inside of a cell uh, EVs are to their donor cell. We know that in general, if you isolate a lot of EVs, there's lots of proteins that you can detect. Um, so a lot of the proteins in cells are also present in EVs, both in terms of the membrane proteins and the proteins inside. But um, the, the tools aren't as good to really say it's a snapshot of a cell or it's completely different. So it's actually harder to do that for proteins than for RNAs. But in general, if you isolate EVs, they're very complex in terms of having lots of proteins, lots of lipids, um, similar to the complexity of a cell. Has anyone observed, again, you know, in live action, um, a cell with inbound EVs and watch them attach and maybe enter a cell? Yeah, so people are doing that. And um, I was involved in a project with a collaborator who's now really focusing his lab uh, on this question. Emmanuel goes to be at Harvard and is now has his own lab at Ohio State. And that's exactly what he's doing. So what he's, um, what he's doing is he's tagging uh, surface proteins that are found on EVs with uh, fluorescent proteins, GFP or RFP, green or red fluorescent proteins. And basically he's watching using live cell imaging um, EVs uh, when he has two populations of cells. So watching how one cell sends another cell EVs. And so we can see that um, when you have two cells in, in a cell culture dish, you do have pieces of membrane, which we're assuming are EVs, uh, go from one cell to another. So that is something we were able to observe. The, the thing that we wanted to observe that ended up being much more technically challenging is how do we actually see what happens to those EVs? Do they actually deliver their cargo to the cell or do they get degraded in the lysosome? So a lot of these EVs, they seem to be taken up by the endocytic pathway, similar to how a lot of viruses get into cells. Um, but it's, no one's really been able to, um, although people are working on it, no one's really been able to figure out exactly what happens to an EV after it's in the endosome, whether it efficiently delivers its cargo or whether it mostly gets degraded. Although, as I said, this is definitely an area of study. Well, very good. What, um, what for the near-term future, the next few years, what do you hope to, uh, to accomplish with your, you know, what particular questions are you trying to answer? Right. So one of the questions we're still working on is, is this RNA question, which um, is pretty simple in, 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 in terms of the basic experiment. But one of the other challenges in the whole EV field is that um, people have a lot of disagreement about how to isolate EVs. Um, and so a lot of times when you uh, analyze EVs after you've isolated them, you have a, a sample that is not pure. There's a lot of other things in there. And so there's a lot of confusion about, you know, how different ways of isolating EVs and whether they're pure enough or not pure enough for a given question. So one of the things with the RNA experiment that we've been doing is trying different isolation methods 
and seeing whether we get the same results in terms of the RNA of the EVs being the same as in the cell. Um, so that's one approach uh, that I'm taking and one of the projects. But the other one is really actually trying to move into using EVs diagnostically. And there's already um, quite a bit of work on EVs. There's uh, actually one uh, test that's uh, FDA approved and even reimbursed by Medicare using EVs in urine for prostate cancer by a company called Exosome Diagnostics, where, um, which was started by Johann Skog, one of the first people to find RNA in EVs. Um, and I had the opportunity to work, work there before grad school, which was a really great experience. So they actually um, developed uh, an actual diagnostic for, for um, prostate cancer using EVs in the urine. Um, but uh, that was using total EVs, so they don't, um, they don't differentiate exactly where the cells, where the EVs come from, which cells. And so what I'm really interested in is going after um, other diseases like neurodegenerative diseases, so trying to figure out can we isolate EVs that um, come from the brain, from neurons in CSF or ideally blood, pull those out using neuron-specific membrane proteins, and then look at the cargo of those EVs, at the, both the RNA and the protein, to basically see if we can look at changes that are happening um, during neurodegeneration uh, before a patient has dementia, before a patient has symptoms. And if we can see changes, then the goal would be to use this as an early detection diagnostic. So that's one of the applications that I'm most uh, excited about in my work uh, on EVs. All right. So what may be the case then is you can't differentiate or cells, if they're communicating with EVs, they may not be doing it just by the membrane characteristics, but by the transmembrane proteins. Maybe that's how a receiving cell knows, okay, evaluate and take this uh, EV in or not. Yes. So that's very much what people are thinking, that if there is communication, there's probably a a surface protein on EVs that is a, is a ligand for a cell's receptor. And that is how the specificity would occur. Um, and so that's a really, as I said, a, a really uh, exciting notion. But the problem is that no one has found such a ligand receptor interaction yet. So um, it, that could be because it doesn't exist. There's no receptor ligand interaction or because we just don't know where to look. And the EVs have to go somewhere. So there's got to be some kind of receptor. They don't just, uh, you know, open up and dump their contents out randomly and they, they have to go somewhere. That's They're being true. produced in unbelievable numbers. That is true. They do have to go somewhere. But one thing we look at is what happens to viruses. So people have been studying what happens to viruses. And one of the things about viruses is that they're quite large, like EVs, right? And they have some of the same characteristics. And if you inject um, a virus into the blood, a lot of it will get filtered by the liver. And so um, people have done experiments where they isolated a bunch of EVs, labeled them in some way, uh, either with radioactivity or with some kind of fluorescent reporter, and then injected those into the blood of a mouse. And one of the things they saw is that like with viruses or large nanoparticles, EVs also largely go to the liver. They're taken up by the liver. And so the question is, you know, is that because it's kind of this artificial system where you grew the cells outside of the mouse and then you injected too many of them? Or is it that actually the liver takes up a lot of EVs? So that, again, is an open question. Yeah, I see what you mean. It's like every time you think you have the answer, nope, <laughs> and it slips away from you. Uh, yeah, oh. yeah. Uh, certainly 
this field was a lot more challenging than I expected. And, and part of it is exciting because when you're in a new field, you have all these very basic questions that are wide open. Uh, but the flip side of that is that it's really hard to get up these questions because it's a new field and there are so many unknowns and there are so many um, inconsistencies between how people do things and there's a lack of tools. So a lot of my work has also been developing new tools to characterize EVs and to study them. And I think, um, and many other people are doing this as well, and I think that will help move the field forward. But um, there are a lot of questions that we actually can't answer because we don't have the tools necessary. So for example, one of the big challenges in the field has been, how do we actually count EVs? How do we quantitate them? Which is obviously a very basic thing that we need to do we want to study EVs and there's actually not been a good method yet. So people uh, use these methods that, that uh, track particles uh, such as nanoparticle tracking analysis or dynamic light scattering. But the problem with that is that there's actually a lot of protein aggregates in your blood that also form large particles that are the same size as EVs. And so a lot of these methods are mostly counting uh, protein aggregates, not actual EVs. So until we have a really good way of quantitating EVs, that makes some of these questions very hard to answer. That's just one very example. Good. Okay. Well, Dima, this has been good. What, um, in terms of people's health, um, any ideas on one or two things that will come out of EVs that you think will, again, positively affect people's health, you know, that use of them? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I think I'm very excited about the uh, potential of using those diagnostics. And as I mentioned, the first uh, diagnostic is already in the clinic from a company called Exosome Diagnostic, which is a urine-based uh, EV test where they're detecting RNA uh, for prostate cancer. So that's already a thing that um, was um, just got on the market quite recently, I think a year or two ago. Um, and that's already the first application, I think, where EVs are useful. But I think there will be many more, both for cancer and for other indications, like I'm hoping neurodegenerative disease. So that's, I think, an area where EVs, I think, will be hugely important. And for that to be the case, you don't need to actually understand all of the complicated biology that we just talked about, um, because it might just be enough to be able to reproducibly isolate them and analyze what's inside. Uh, but the second area is to use EVs as drugs. And I think that's much more challenging because of all the biology that we don't know. That being said, that's also um, something that people are working on. So, for example, even though they don't necessarily know the mechanism, some people have seen that when they isolate EVs from mesenchymal stem cells and inject them into different uh, disease models of mice, they see regenerative effects. So, on one hand, it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit uh, challenging to have a drug where you really don't understand how it works. On the other hand, um, you know, we have small molecule drugs where we don't understand how they work. So that may not necessarily be a reason not to use it, depending on the severity of the disease and the unmet need. So that's one thing that is starting to go into the clinic. There are several groups, both academic and companies, that are trying to use mesenchymal stem cell-derived EVs as drugs. Um, and then there's also uh, people using EVs uh, as drugs in the context of immuno-oncology. So there's actually um, a company called Kodiak, for example, uh, in Cambridge, uh, that's uh, gearing up, I think, to do their first human clinical trial uh, in immuno-oncology with EVs, where they're, um, uh, they have EVs that they're loading up with a small molecule drug that stimulates uh, the immune system. 
Um, and then they have another program where they're fusing an EV uh, surface protein to another uh, protein, IL-12. So there's a few applications that are a little bit easier in the near term than delivering RNA, although that's still an application I'm very excited about in the long term, where people are getting actually quite close to um, using EVs as drugs, at least in early stage clinical trials. Um, but this is also quite amazing because, you know, this is in humans, so you need to work with the FDA. You need a way to manufacture these reproducibly, which is quite difficult given how complex and heterogeneous EVs are. Uh, but nonetheless, people are very actively uh, working on this and making a lot of progress. So I think um, in the next few years, there will be quite a few uh, clinical trials starting to use EVs as drugs, whether as uh, drugs themselves or with um, engineered with a certain protein or with a small molecule inside of them uh, to try to deliver, deliver that to, say, uh, immune cells or immune oncology applications in, in cancer treatment. Well, very good. Well, Dima, what's the best way for people to get in touch to find out more and read some of your papers and things like that? Um, so I'm, uh, yeah, you can find my contact information uh, and more information on the VEAST website. Um, I'm listed there also in uh, the lab of uh, George Church. He lists all the people in his lab. Um, and you can uh, look up my papers on PubMed. I'm also going to be... Um, yeah, there'll be several coming out in the next few years on the work we're doing now. Um, and then there's, um, yeah, there's a lot of information now about EVs on kind of blog posts and videos. There was a video that I was in made by um, now Thermo Fisher about EVs where they have a small documentary on YouTube if you uh, type in Thermo Fisher exosomes. So there's lots of information um, in addition to the, of course, the publications on PubMed. Excellent. Well, Dima, thanks for coming. I really appreciate it. It's a fascinating subject, and uh, I'm uh, actually thinking maybe of going to ISCV, you know, this coming year. Oh, I don't yeah. know if I'm allowed to, you know, if they'll, if they'll let me in, but, you know, it's... Oh, yeah. uh, you, should, you should definitely go. That's the main conference. And, yeah, there's lots of people yeah. um, from all different fields and uh, studies uh, coming, and not just scientists who want to learn about EVs. You should definitely consider that. And let me know if you do. I should be there as well. Excellent. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, but we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Thank you.